0: Scripture this morning, as we continue through the book of Acts, is from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against, God, against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if they found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying." In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again he got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength saul spent several days with the disciples in damascus as we put ourselves into the story we can put ourselves into the mind of saul who is angry angry at this new threat to what he believed true religion should be we can put our minds or our, our minds into the mind of ananias and Really, for him to be called to go to meet with Saul is like a rabbi being called to go to meet with Hitler. I mean, Saul was ravingly angry at people of the way, which is what early Christians were called. But we also have to put our minds into the mind of Christ and ask the Lord what God is asking of us through this text. And what I want to ask is if we're wrong about anything. Because in this text we find that people were wrong, and their being wrong kept them from what God was calling them to do. First, we have to be open to whether or not we're wrong about God. Saul was wrong about God. He had the scriptures. He believed the scriptures. He believed that the scriptures, as he understood them, were the only way to understand God. And yet he missed some very important things in those scriptures. He missed the suffering servant who was weaved through those prophecies, the servant that Jesus is. He missed the, the words about the kingdom of God, about how God is at work in the world. He missed those places where it said that the Jewish people were to be a light unto the Gentiles. He had his sense of the way things needed to be, and he was not willing to hear anything different. So therefore, he was an enemy to the church. The people... Um, Well, Luke, as he's writing this, is very concerned to make sure that Saul is a big part of this story. We see that Saul was standing uh, when they were stoning Stephen, standing watching, guarding the coats, the outer garments of the people who were there and approving of what was happening. And then it says that Saul continued to... Persecute the church. And here, at the beginning of this passage, he's breathing out out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Saul is angry. Because what he believed, what he values, is being threatened by this new understanding. But is he right? He's not. What is so important for us as believers is to believe... What is right? What is true? Uh, It's like two women. One of them is very frightened to go out on the ice, even though the ice is six inches thick. Another woman has no fear. She is very confident that the ice will hold her up, even though the ice is only a half inch thick. Now, I did some research on this, and you really should only go out on the ice when it is over three inches thick. There I am. Um, This woman didn't do that research, but she was confident that a half an inch of ice would hold her up. The other didn't do the research either, but was terrified that six inches of ice wouldn't hold her up. One of those women fell through the ice. Was it the one who was confident? It was. It wasn't the one who was frightened. We often think that if you believe hard enough, that makes it true. And people will often say, it doesn't really matter what you believe, just so you believe something and you believe it with all your heart. That is utterly ridiculous. Just ask the woman who's down under the ice trying to find her way out to the top. If you don't, put your faith in what is true, you're making a very foolish mistake, no matter how strong your faith may be. So be open. Be open to the idea that you might be wrong about God. When I was a kid, I went to a very um, strict church. They just took John in the ambulance, for those of you who don't have my view. So uh, we continue to pray for him. Um, And this church was very strict. And as I learned and studied the Bible, I looked at the Pharisees. And of course, Saul was one of the Pharisees, one of the people who believed in the law and believed that it must be kept very carefully in order for God not to be angry with them. And this church that I grew up in was very much like that. And I would read about the Pharisees, and I thought, well, it seems like Jesus is upset with the Pharisees, but the Pharisees are right, of course, because this is the way you're supposed to be. You're supposed to live your life in very good, solid obedience. Yes, you receive Jesus, and, you, and you, you come to faith in him, and he saves you, but you can lose that at any second if you're not good enough. And so I had to develop, with some help from members of that church, some rationalizations why the Pharisees were getting it right. The problem is the Pharisees weren't getting it right. And Paul, Saul wasn't getting it right. Because God is a God of grace. And when we receive or God calls us to himself, our sins are forgiven. We're a whole new person. And if we think that we have to continue to earn God's favor, we're just forgetting what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And it took me a number of years and many glorious experiences with God to come to realize the depth of God's grace in Jesus Christ. But I had to be willing to admit that maybe my idea of God was wrong. What preconceived notions might you have that you maybe should call into question? There's no way to know what's truly right, except by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God working in us. So open yourself to that. Be open to how you might be wrong about God. Next thing, as we look move from Saul to Ananias, we have to Be open to how we might be wrong about people. Ananias had every reason to fear Saul. Saul was breathing out murderous threats. Saul came to Damascus with an order to corral all of the believers in in Christ, uh, men and women, and take them back to be punished. So when Ananias was asked to go speak with Paul, it makes sense that he would be concerned. But the key factor here is to ask, who's asking him? Because God is asking him. And if God is asking us to do something, we can be confident that it is a good thing to do. No matter who it is, that you see, no matter what they've done, no matter what attitudes you have seen in them, are they too far away to be reached by God? The answer is no, no one. The most vile person you can think of is not too far away that God can't reach them. So everyone you see, the ones who are easy to like and the ones who are difficult to like are people that God just might be reaching out to. And our job is to represent the love and grace of God to everyone that we meet because no one is outside of God's love and the possibility that God will change their hearts. A problem many of us have, and this goes back a little bit to being wrong about God, but it also goes to being wrong about people, is that many of us tend to put our faith into our beliefs. What? We put our faith into our beliefs. We put our faith into what we believe and when what when, what? Our structured belief, when that is threatened or questioned, we become very defensive. But the problem is that we're putting our faith into our beliefs rather than into where those beliefs should point us, which is the sovereign God. Our faith should be in Christ and the Father and the Spirit. Ananias had a relationship with God. He didn't have a structure of belief that didn't allow him to hear the voice of God. He had a relationship with God that allowed him to understand when God was speaking, and then he had a level of trust in God that allowed him to step out in faith and follow where God was leading. This is how we should be as well. Be open to how you might be wrong about God. Be open to how you might be wrong about people. And finally, be open to how you might be wrong about yourself. When he was confronted with Jesus, we're not sure when his transformation occurred. We know that he was confronted by Jesus, that he was blinded, that um, he was uh, led like a child back to uh, the home uh, where he was waiting for Ananias, not even knowing he was waiting for Ananias. And we know that he spent three days blind and not eating and not drinking anything we don't know if it was during those three days, or when Jesus spoke to him, or when Ananias um, prayed over him, when it was that he really came to faith in Christ. But we know that he did, For his life was utterly transformed, from breathing out threats to embracing the believers. And not only embracing the believers, but realizing that this message was for everyone and desired to take that message all over the world. He turned. He turned his whole life. And that's called repentance. And that is what all of us are called to do. To repent of everything else that we have put our trust in. To repent of not just the things we've done wrong, but the things we think we do right. The things we think we do that are good enough for that God would accept us. Folks, there is nothing you can do that is good enough for God to accept you. Repent of your sin. Repent of your trust in your goodness. Because the only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. And whatever is pulling you from total hope in him, turn away from it repent. There's a huge problem in the popular thought of today. And that problem is, and I've talked about it before and I'll talk about it again because it's a big deal, and that problem is that we want to believe that everyone is good Society will tell you that everyone is good. You will be told that you are good, that you are a treasure. And I'm not saying you're not a treasure, but I am saying you're not necessarily good. (laughs) Not through and through anyway. Not to the point of being acceptable as you are to God. But when we hear that we're good and then we find that we're not, and we know it inside even though other people are telling us we're not, it's really frustrating. We think, I'm the only one. I'm the only jerk in the whole world. (laughs) Or we hear it the other way, and we hear that we're good, and then whatever nastiness that is inside of us, we just say, well, I thought it was nasty, but it must be good, so I'm going to go ahead and be nasty. The problem is, all of that is trusting in ourselves. And to trust in your own goodness is to be wrong about yourself. Because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all need to turn from ourselves and turn to our only hope, which is Jesus Christ. And when we do, when we repent, Something else happens. Conversion is not just an end unto itself. Conversion to Christ also means commission. Paul, when he was converted, became a missionary. Paul, when he was converted, became someone who was responsible for sharing the good news with the world. He was given a job. When you are converted, you are also commissioned. Commissioned to be a person who who follows Christ, who does the work of the kingdom of God. It's interesting. People often think that uh, at this time when when Paul uh, confronts Jesus and Jesus confronts Paul or Saul, that that's when his name changed. But his name doesn't change for a few chapters after. And actually, in actual fact, his name never changes. God doesn't say like he did to Peter, I name you now Peter, even though your name was Simon, he never says that to Saul because Saul and Paul are the same name. Saul is the Hebrew version of the name, and Paul is the Roman version, or the Greek version of the name. So what happens is, Paul doesn't change his name, but he uses the name that will be most appropriate for his commission, which is to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Are you wrong about God in any way? Are you wrong about other people in any way? Are you wrong about yourself in any way? Repent. Turn to God, who is not ready to judge and belittle you, but who is ready to open or to welcome you with open arms, give you a new identity and a new calling. And that is the most glorious thing that can happen. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord God, for your presence among us today. We continue to lift up John to you and pray that you would uh, be with all those who are giving him care. We thank you for Nikki and Alan and Naomi and Nikki's family who's here today, and we um, pray that you would continue to bless their ministry. We pray for our own ministry as the Ridley Park Presbyterian Church, that you would be moving in us to strengthen us to to listen, to listen for your voice and then trust your voice so that we might reach out faithfully to the world around us and the whole rest of the world through our mission partners. Lord, if there's anyone here who's wrong about you, reveal yourself to them. If there's anyone here who is wrong about other people, judging them, categorizing them, withholding any sense of hope from them, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would change their, our hearts. If anyone is wrong about themselves, relying on themselves for their salvation, relying on their goodness, relying on their actions, relying on a belief system. Help them to repent. By your Holy Spirit, show them the change that needs to be made so that all of us can trust in you, can trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, And in so doing, have the greatest confidence in who you are, in who we are, and in the needs of the world around us. Bless us, Lord God, with your Holy Spirit to change us in whatever way we need to be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.